2: sitting here with the sun on my skin. It is a glorious day. And nothing quite like that lifts the spirits. Now I can't remember which Instagram influencer it is who's my current um, obsession. He whoever he is, talks about getting horizontal sun on your skin first thing in the morning. Horizontal sun means while the sun is low in the sky. Does anyone else follow this stuff? Apparently, it's very good for you. Anyway, so I thought I'd try and do that. So here I am, doing that, being with the dog, next to the rhubarb plant, getting some horizontal, <laughs> horizontal sun, um, and uh, I won't lie, feels good. So lovely this little patch of sunshine that we're having, because it just lifts the spirits, doesn't it? As you hunker down. Especially as the nights start to draw in. So it's sort of good for your mental health, which is apt because it is World Mental Health Day today. A day all about driving positive change for mental health. And we love a gas about mental health, to be quite honest. It is uh, one of my favourite things. Uh, talking about it, shame withers in the light. I love that saying that somebody said. And having conversations and sharing our experiences lgbtq plus people and the hope that it will help everyone is kind of part of our ethos you know we want everyone to feel less alone and to be able to ask for help when you need it and in our link in bio our in our instagram our resources if you do need to talk to somebody you know we're always receiving messages here about how the discussions on this podcast help people feel seen and prompt light bulb moments for them in their lgbtq plus journey so Uh, we're going to keep doing it. We've done 200 episodes, so I think we've done more than that. You know, we didn't used to number them right. But anyway, we've done a lot. So I wanted to create a greatest hits of my favourite moments, epiphany, lightbulb moments, things that have helped me personally. Moments about mental health from all these hundreds of conversations we've had about improving mental health for LGBTQ plus people, the topic of shame, and something I know many... People writing about saying that they really relate to it. So today, you are going to hear conversations and stories from Munro Bergdorf. You're going to hear bits from Tori Peters, the author of Detransition Baby. A conversation I had a year and a half ago, maybe two years ago, I still think about it every day. For those of you who haven't listened to that episode, go and listen. Munro always makes me think, as I was talking about her just earlier. Radio 4 journalist and host of After the Tone podcast, Scotty. Nick Fager, aka the gay therapist, and the wonderful Arthur Parkinson, the gardener, chicken rearer, chicken owner, who has written so much and spoken so much about how looking after chicken saved his life. It's quite the smorgasbord. And if you like it, maybe we'll do more of these. There's definitely more than one episode in it. Let me know. Now, listen. No two ways about it. This has been a really hard week for the LGBTQ plus community and the trans community in particular. What's happened last week with the things they were saying about trans people are just despicable and it's stirring hate. Two things I saw online were, one, there aren't really any male or female only wards. There are a few, but not many. It's not really a problem. Uh, And this thing about the NHS nurse or doctor who was writing on social media that you know saying how great the service for for trans people is and and actually you know talking to my friends who work in the nhs you know they they say that as well and actually when logan brown came on you know logan was saying that actually the birth of his son they had a really good experience so it's i think what i feel like and i see other people saying online is This really isn't about it being real problems. It's about stirring hate and winning votes. And that's what makes it unforgivable. That's what makes it like the past repeating itself, makes it dangerous. It makes me worried, makes me so worried. And a lot of people like Mamre Bergdorf have been talking about this for a while. And, you know, it is coming true and that's chilling. It is really chilling. Anyway, so I think the one thing, if there were any glimmer of hope in amongst all of this is it's actually been really wonderful to see the amount of support for trans people. And, you know, all I'll say is, and I wrote this on Instagram, you know, for all of our trans listeners or gender non-conforming or, you know, any of that spectrum on which we all sit, you know, you have homo sapiens support. Forever. and you deserve the compassion and the rights like any other human being. And if you're denied them, we will go out there and we will fight to get you them. That shall be our lifetime's work. So for all those people out there who are scared and wondering what the hell is going on, I just want to say that we're here for you and we will battle on your behalf and it's unacceptable and you're being used as a pawn and it's not fair, it's disgusting. Okay, let's have a look at your comments. Doc Jack Lopez said, thank you. I can't deal with the media at the moment, I'm tired. They don't realize they not only attack us, we are parents. They are spreading hate to my children's world too. And that hurts more than anything. Yeah, it's so true, Jack, because, you know, your kids have to go to school and get questions from other kids at school. And it's 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 awful. And, you know, it sort of spreads it to another generation, a generation who, by the way, wouldn't be like this unless they were taught it. So I feel for you and I'm sending you loads of love, Jack. DT Finax says, as someone from the UK, I'm disgusted by the UK government's attacks on the trans community. As a gender fluid person, I'm among many other people in the UK who will love and support you all and fight on your behalf. Amen. Nate says, it's hit me like a truck. I've been feeling incredibly happy through my transition. And now I've been hit with a crushing blow by our government. I feel awful. Nate, I'm really sorry to hear that. And, you know, we've got resources in our link in our bio if anybody needs to talk to anybody. And meanwhile, I can offer you the warm bubble bath that is Homo sapiens, uh, where, you know, you are accepted and supported and loved for the person that you are. Right, let's go and have a listen to this lovely episode. The topic of shame is so...
3: (laughs) is so huge Mm. i mean that's that's a theme a consistent theme in therapy is shame
2: and define for because people get a bit like so what is shame
4: how would we yeah
3: it's a very it's a very sort of um hard emotion to define but basically if you can think about um if there is something in your body that some feeling or some belief that you feel like is so bad or wrong in some way that if you share it with somebody that relationship will end Ah, Right. Um, So and it it could also just be the belief that there's something there's something wrong with you. And what uh, what happens, particularly in the queer experience, is that you get so many messages um, from so many people that there is something wrong with you growing up. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And so Mm -hmm. uh, you start to you believe it. Right. You start to believe there is something wrong with me on a very deep level. And so when people come into therapy, so often they're just trying to figure out what's wrong with them. And so often I'm just saying to them, there's nothing wrong with you. Mm. Uh, and to actually believe that on a deep level takes a long time because you receive those messages for so many years mm. growing up. Um, so to actually step into the fact that you're OK and that there's nothing inherently
2: wrong with you, um, that's really a big part of the work. Mm, how do you get someone there obviously you're not going to have three simple answers to that but yeah that's that is that's (laughs) (laughs) that's that's the hard part um
3: i think privileging the positive is really an important thing to do like privileging the positive yeah so when you feel um some positive emotion or you're feeling okay about yourself or like you've accomplished something um to actually uh, bathe your brain in that to make neural neural connections to the positive as opposed to always focusing on this is what I did wrong in this situation, or this is what's inherently wrong with me to start to shift your focus a little bit to, to what is good within you? What is working within you? What strengths do you have? And so oftentimes as a therapist, I'm just telling people what I notice about them that is working. And it's oftentimes they, it's very hard for them to hear in the beginning because mm. they want to jump right back to, but wait, what about this thing that's, that's yeah. bad? Right, mm. we need to fix this thing that's bad. But if you stop giving so much attention to it, you can actually start to realize that you are—that there is nothing wrong, that uh, you are whole, you are good. You are. Mm. There's there's healing that needs to happen. There's a lot of healing that usually needs to happen, but there's nothing inherently wrong. You're good enough. Yeah.
2: So shame is this thing that is is quite. Uh, what was that amazing word you used yesterday? In when we're having noodles. Having noodles. Pervasive. No, it's sort of insidious. Yeah. Quite insidious in the queer experience. Uh, and how does that manifest itself? So for me, it would have been drinking. Mm-hmm. So not liking my life age 13, being like, I'm gay, I'm in an all-boys school. Aside from being gay, I didn't even feel like I'm a boy. Like everyone else is doing such a different version of what I think it is. And then I discovered alcohol and I was like, ah, this all just went away for a few hours. When you were 13? Yeah, I started drinking when I was 13. Gosh. I started that's... smoking when I was 13. Oh my Please gosh. God, insure and go, don't be listening. Um... <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that for me is what, that was a, a manifestation of my shame, is that I would just go to drink and really? be like, ah, freedom. And then, you know, is that a common thing? And are there other things that people can...
3: Yeah, addiction's a big one. Uh, sort of All these avoidance mechanisms that we have, such as... Um, drugs or alcohol or even sex um, or video games or whatever it is Mm. Uh, or oftentimes um, perfectionism is a big one right so if I believe that this thing is so bad within me, my authentic self is so bad, I'm going to create a false self that is perfect I'm going to devote all my energy to that false self and perfecting perfecting it so that it fits in in any situation um, all to avoid this really uncomfortable feeling Mm. down below
1: I think that's a very, um, that's a trope is it a trope? Is that be defined as a trope? That's a trope that I really recognise in sort of gay culture, like those, yeah. you know, alpha gays. Those, those remember the A list or some TV's programme about yep. it. Yes. Like, yes. I think it's dreadful. Mm-hmm. I really, and I find actually that sort of, you know, gay life. I think is, I always think, when so many people have for so long, uh, you know, I understand they want to, they want to fit in. They feel different. They feel left out. But then instead of embracing their individuality and thinking that's a good, a positive thing about me, I'm different and that's, Mm. here's what what makes me different and that's that everyone basically wears a a uniform, a new uniform, like everyone cuts their hair the same, listens to the same music, have the same bodies. And I get it, we want to belong. But it just, to me, seems like a diminishing of your potential. And I think Mm. we're so, what's the word, swayed by these images of like, power gays, super power gays, people who are, look gorgeous, have great bodies, have are professional. And I just think that's, it's very, I wish we would be a bit more dirty and messy, you know? I think and, uh, the sort of image of a modern, successful gay man is kind of
2: superhero, almost. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And I think we have to talk about that book, The Velvet Rage, right? Because that sort of feeds into that idea, right? The Velvet Rage's thesis is that if you have taken a hit by being gay as in in your social circumstances it's like you have got this big bad thing about you you will make sure that everything else is perfect so if I'm going to be gay which will disappoint my mother I'm going to make sure she knows I have the best job the best car the best house oh. mm-hmm. and I go and then their thing is and then you move to San Francisco and collect antiques
5: shame eats away at people, only that like people think they can't ever share it. Whereas for me, it's like, I try to basically be like, if something is eating away at me and it's shame, it means that I immediately must share it. (laughs) (laughs) Here we are in the grocery store and I'm just going to tell you.
2: (laughs) (laughs) But were you always that kind of person anyway?
5: No, I I came to it late. I was a very repressed person. Um, Mm -hmm. And I, I, I lived a lot of repression and a lot of shame. And a lot of it was that, I didn't know that I could speak it. And so much of, there was so much fear that sort of accrued around shame that if you had asked me, like, I, I thought, I talk about some of like my early, like the early, first times I slept with men, like, especially dressed mm. as like a woman. Um, there was one, there was a town that was near my college. And if you'd asked me like, uh, have you ever been to Chicopee, Massachusetts, Tori? I would have told you, never in my life had I been to Chicopee, Massachusetts, even though I was sleeping with a man in Chicopee, Massachusetts. And I wouldn't have, that wouldn't have been immediate. That wouldn't have been like me who, who was like, I got to, Oh, I have been to Chicopee, but I got to lie to you. <laughs> it was like, it was immediate, it was like, in the moment that I said I've never been to Chicopee, I, I believed it. And so I didn't even yeah. know that a lie was being told. And that kind of, that is what I think shame does. Is it allows you to lie and repress without even know knowing that you've done it, and mm-hmm. so that you can say I've never been to Chicopee, Massachusetts, and you can you can truly believe it as you say it. And what I learned is both like a person and as a writer is that like to sense those moments, to sense the moment in which something is feels so urgent that it that there aren't even words available for you to express it, and that's the place yes. to like just start digging and see what see what that thing that you can't speak that you that you don't even have words for see what it is like un uncover it
2: yeah and do you think that you find it so easy to tell the lie because in a way it, there's something about an idea of duality that you've actually created this other person within you who does that stuff and actually you as you present doesn't do that stuff
5: I mean yeah I was very com- I mean part of transition for me was discovering that I had done that, you know, like I didn't Mm -hmm. know that I had done that. And transition was like about realizing all of these coping mechanisms, all these ways in which I had, you know, dissociated or repressed or all this, all this kind of stuff. And that, you know, people think about transition as a, as an act of, Oh, I took hormones and I grew my hair or whatever. And for me, the, the like devastating work of, of transition was discovering like, Oh, I've, I've been lying. Like not, you know, I didn't know it, but I've been lying to, and not just that I am a man. I wasn't, you know, I thought I realized I thought I was a man and I was telling the world, but that was more like a mistake. It was that I've been, I've been lying about what I care about, who I am, where I've been, what matters. And I didn't know that I was lying. Uh, Mm -hmm. And I didn't know the ways that those were, that, those, that I was afraid, that I did that because I was afraid and that I was coping and that all this stuff. And, um you know, it, it made it difficult to trust myself for, for a period of years, you know. It was like, I really thought I had it together and it turns out all the stuff that I had said wasn't true. And so mm. a lot of the ways in which I learned to write was about learning kind of how to say the real thing before any sort of psychological processes could could begin to cover it up or bury it.
2: One of the things you've said is that it's really good for your mental health looking after chickens. Mm. What, what what is it that's appealing? <laughs> well, I I wish I wish they were like Prozac. They're not really. I mean, I do have very dark
6: days still, but it is good to have I think a lot of people and i include myself in this who suffer with depression hmm. all through the year rather than seasonally if you've got that thing that makes you get out of the house mm-hmm. it's a help mm-hmm. yes you know if you see a, a face of a dog or the face of a chicken or even a goldfish there's a voice in my head that goes well no one's going to look after you so we've got to plod on mm-hmm. and the next mm-hmm. day you feel better anyway thank god yes um you know depression has ran always run through my dad's side of the family i've got an aunt who who's been badly depressed for four years and she's got a dog called coco and i know without that dog she probably wouldn't have lasted so it is i think it's just about nurturing i think that's the best recipe mm-hmm. to try and treat depression mm. nurture someone else or something else if you can't nurture yourself and actually
7: mm.
6: i find that i'm nurtured by nurturing something else mm.
2: you know is there something in consistency as well? Yeah, routine, definitely. Yeah. Because I wonder, like, I've never had depression, so I can't, mm. you know, I don't want to, I'm not qualified to speak about it, if you know what I mean. But I, with lots of mates who've had it and all of that, I, it's like maybe there's something in the reason the chickens peel, for example, is like when you don't know when it's going to hit you and it's all going to fall off a cliff, you do have one thing that's a thread through. Yeah. Definitely. That is.
6: And something that's not going to ever answer back is helpful. <laughs> <laughs> something yes. that's not going to try and, you know, analyse what you're looking like or how mm. you're feeling. And, you know, I just, on a shit day when my head's feeling shit, I can open my hen house and I'll just see all the chicken shit. And I think, right, let's make it clean
7: mm-hmm.
6: and make it so the girls look absolutely gorgeous like they're in a waitress advert.
2: Yeah. And then, <laughs> you you know, that.
6: you're collecting the most gorgeous eggs that are clean and... Yeah, that's what I know I will do through my
2: whole life. Mm. And I think as long as I've got that, I'll be okay. Do you also feel that you, maybe, that people ask more questions of your depression than chickens do as well? Yeah,
6: there's no depression in chickens. With chickens, you're either a healthy chicken or you're dead.
7: (laughs) I think it's, you know, just shame. Yeah. Shame is such a killer. If it doesn't kill you physically, then it will kill your spirit. And I just experienced so much shame. And I really feel like the opposite, not the opposite, but the antidote to shame is connection. Yeah. And being able to see yourselves reflected in other people, being able to not hate yourself. Mm. And I really hated myself when I was younger. And I really wish I could like go back into like, you know, a time travel machine or something, just give myself a hug and just be like, you stop being so unkind to yourself. If you want to survive, you need to be on your own side. So anything that brings you joy, do it. If you are trans and listening to this, you need to be on your own side, honey. You you need to be on your own side because transitioning is at its core, an act of love for yourself, you cannot transition and transition into your best self if you're not loving yourself.
2: Listening to you saying that you're on a therapy holiday, it's really good from affordability perspective because actually people think you have to be in therapy forever and actually I think you really can go get a chunk and leave and actually think about it in that respect. You know, it's it's for yeah. deliverers. And... Um...
4: <laughs> Quantifying therapy by Deliveroo has absolutely changed my world. Yes. That is excellent. That is excellent. You well think done, 10 n- points.
2: nothing of dropping 35 quid on a half-cold bowl of noodles. So
4: <laughs> add 15 quid
2: in there and you could you know, solve at least 1% of your problems.
4: Well, see, this is the way that I do it. Like a lot of people, because I talk about therapy a lot, you know, because how do you know someone's in therapy? They'll constantly tell you. Um, <laughs> yes. And so people are constantly saying to me, you know, how did you find the right therapist for you?
2: I talk about therapy all the time. No one has ever asked me that. What does that tell you?
4: <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying it's It tells person. you a lot. so I use a website called pink therapy it's a bit like a search engine of queer therapists Mm -hmm. around the world and you know I put in the things that I wanted to talk about about non-monogamy I wanted a queer person you can talk uh, you can even request the gender or non-gendered identity of the therapist Mm. and I found a therapist who does like online therapy so Mm. that makes it cheaper but um, I also do my therapy every other week because mm. then that also makes it more accessible as well. So there are where I think there is this mystification that you've got to sit in a room, um, you know, and like talk to somebody at length and they're going to charge you a lot of money now that does exist let's not mm. lie that does exist but there are ways of like working particularly like if you work with like you want to approach things like the LGBT foundation in Manchester there are like london friends there are organizations out there who do try and supply as much mental health support as they can mm. at subsidized rates but even within the kind of capitalist therapy system there are ways of making it more accessible to yourself
2: Yeah, and the other option is, like I said, go for a bit and then don't go. The other option is you could do once or two weeks, like you're describing, a book, or even go once a month, which is, you know, one and a half deliveries. And over the course of many years, you'll get
4: somewhere. If you keep it regular, you'll really get somewhere. Well, also as well, I think people think therapy is for the immediate. It's a gift for the future. Mm. You are working through the stuff now that is going to help you further down the line. Scotty, you need to put welcome. on a t-shirt. All
2: of the full episodes are linked in the episode description below to listen and revisit. Get in touch. Tell us what you thought. Hello at homosapienspodcast.com. Later on this week, it's National Coming Out Day. Whoop! And we are doing a special all about the ways to support an LGBTQ plus person on their coming out journey. I'm very much looking forward to that. Loads of love to you listeners. Bye for now.